everybody. Welcome back to Stars Like Us. I am your host, Aliza Kelly, and I am so, so excited to introduce you to the very first death doula on our show. Her name is Alua, uh, and she is a double Gemini, which means Gemini sun and rising, and a Pisces moon, just like me. Um, so we're both out here just feeling all the feels already. It's so lovely to meet you. It's nice to meet you, too. And there's so many feels lately. It's like a lot happening in my body. Yes. I just pulled up your birth chart uh, ahead of this call just a moment ago, and I see that you have your son in the 12th house. Um, Some of our listeners might already be like, oh, shit, of course she does, Um, because the 12th house is the area of the chart that is most deeply connected to sort of the passage of life um, and the transformation between one cycle and another. So people who have especially a personal planet, uh, such as the sun or the moon, in your case it's the sun in this domain, are very connected to another dimension and to another world. Um, and then on top of that, you also have your moon in Pisces. And I can I could think that I, you know, I personally relate to that experience of being so very deeply uh, extrasensory oriented um, where you're picking up on v- even the most subtle experiences and those sensitivities really make you who you are. So between the two of those things, which I'm sure we will elaborate on much more extensively, I think that it it might seem like you are working in the perfect career for you. At least I hope so, because it's, it's probably not for everyone. <laughs> it feels like it for sure. It definitely feels like it. So how did you become a death doula? And can you tell us what a death doula is also? Sure. So for starters, a death doula is somebody who does all of the non-medical care and support of the dying person and the family through the entire process. Some of us also do uh, advanced planning when people are still healthy, help them think about how they might want their lives to end and how they're going to wrap up their affairs once it's over. And then once somebody dies, we also help people wrap up their affairs of their lives. So we're doing full-scale preparation for death. I also support people who have death anxiety, work through some of it. And most importantly, currently, I'm teaching death doulas. In my like perfect vision for the world, all of us have death doula training and know how to support somebody when they're dying because most of us are going to do it at some point or another. Right. So ideally, we all have solid death education and we know how to show up and be of support to somebody. Uh, so that's the work itself. I, um, I became a death doula. Gosh, I mean, a lot of people say that you always are, and it's just a question of recognizing it. And for me, I'd been practicing law for about 10 years in legal services, and I grew terribly depressed because the work just was not, I mean, it, it was like good in my heart, but it wasn't using me up fully. And I got really depressed, and I went on a medical leave of absence, ended up in Cuba, where I met a woman who had uterine cancer on a bus. And we started talking a lot about her life. And then I started asking her questions about her death. And we went in. I mean, we went really in, like what would be undone in her life if this disease killed her? And, you know, what, what was still remaining? Like what has she not gotten out of life yet? Uh, so that, that bus ride really helped me see how necessary it is for us to spend some time while we're living, working through our lives itself so that when we die, we can leave complete. About six months after that bus ride, my brother-in-law got sick. And then a short while after that, he was terminal. And I got to move to New York for a couple of months and support him and my sister and my niece and his parents and my mother through the end of his life. And that's how Going With Grace, um, the company that I founded, was born. Just in watching what the real needs are 
and seeing how inadequately supported people are near the end of life, I was like, we need to do something about this. Somebody, somebody needs to do this and I can do it. So that's how Going With Grace was started. Is it, what is the tradition of death doulas? Because I know that birth doulas, um, you know, there's, there's obviously a very long tradition of um, women supporting women through the birthing process. Um, is there the same tradition uh, and sort of lineage surrounding death doulas? There is. It's just not as obvious. It's just not as obvious because in communities, since time immemorial, there was somebody in the community somebody would call when somebody was dying to support the family. And then that person would probably organize food and would understand what to do with the body and would be the um, grieving point person. And that has existed since always. But as we've become more modernized and um, urban centers were being built and people moved away from their families and the funeral industry started and people started dying in hospitals and science, blah, blah, blah. That <laughs> tradition is kind of diluted over time. And I'd say that right now, it's not new, it's an old thing, but it's just, it's newly configured in our world today. Right. That makes sense. Yeah. I mean, death is, uh, well, it's scary. Um, and I also feel like it's not something that we really have a rhetoric for. It's not really something that we can comfortably discuss. I mean, in my family uh, in particular, it's it's almost a taboo subject, so much so that it's really, it's, it's created uh, intergenerational issues because nobody talks about it so much that, for instance, when my 84-year-old grandfather died playing tennis, he didn't even set up a will. He didn't have anything that was, uh, there was nothing that had been allocated for uh, preparing for his death. And he had ended up putting my grandmother in bankruptcy because he had all of these credit card bills and all of this, and, and there was no ownership. Uh, in, so it was actually like his inability to confront his death and my family's subsequent inability to confront death in general made life much more difficult. So I became very interested in in that when I was when I was sort of observing that at like 16 or 17 where I was like yes it sucks that I I my grandfather like raised me. It's it's horrible that he passed. I was grieving just him his loss, but then I was also trying to help my grandmother and my mother figure out what to do when now they also had the financial implications of not being prepared as well. Um, and it really, you know, I, I have always been, unfortunately, I've always been, I, I've known a lot of people who have passed and I've also been sort of surrounded, I've always been curious with death sort of simultaneously. I thought, I have thought of it as this sort of enticing and sort of evocative thing while also having to go through grief and loss processes simultaneously. And those two kind of go hand in hand, I suppose. But I guess what I'm fishing for here is is sort of recognizing that it's just really not an easy thing to talk about in the United States, uh, at least in this culture that I was raised in at all. There's not really a any, we don't know how to talk about it. It's true. We don't. And first, let me acknowledge how challenging it must have been with your grandfather. And you hit the nail on the head. Like when we're not talking about it, we end up creating generational trauma around death and dying. Yes. I mean, many of us have it because of things that happened to our ancestors before we were born, but some of us also carry it because of how people died. 
And a big part of the work is helping to heal that because when we can support people that we care about and having the deaths that seem right for them, and I don't only mean the dying itself, but also all the things around it, it becomes a little, I think, a little less scary for us to step into, right? If I can have my affairs in order, if I can um, have all the things that I need to say said, if I can be present with the fact that my life is ending, if I can do it gracefully, then I'm teaching everybody else around me how to do it. But when I go fearfully and things are a mess, that's what other people see. That's what other people take on. And it doesn't serve the the collective as a whole. Uh, It is something that's hard to talk about. It can be tough. But what I'm learning, at first I thought that everybody was like terrified when I talk about my work. But one of the very first people I told that I wanted to work with people that were dying uh, right after I came back from Cuba was at a party on New Year's Eve. And I'm like, so I'm going to work with people that are dying. And she says, well, aren't we all? And I was like, yeah, yeah, absolutely. And then from there, you know, sometimes it clears out the room when I talk about it at a party, but sometimes people lean in closer and the people that lean in are the ones that I really want to talk to. And the people that don't lean in and go away, I guarantee I've sparked something in their consciousness about death. And hopefully they take an opportunity to look at what made them run away. So what do you think would prompt somebody to... uh to sort of want to lean into the conversation versus someone to be like, peace, I'm out. I can't, I cannot do this. Varying degrees of uh, experiences with traumatic deaths in their family, grief, death anxiety themselves. Um, somebody who has a lot of anxiety about death and dying probably doesn't want to talk about it. But sometimes I'm finding that people with severe death anxiety do want to discuss it because they want to work through it. People that lean in are typically those that are ready to look at the issue are curious, maybe philosophical, like to play around in the esoteric, or have had difficult grieving processes that they want to be acknowledged. I, When I think about my personal death anxiety, I feel like I have more anxiety about other people dying than I do my own death. Is That's that fair. something that you see? Is that probably very common? It's pretty common. I mean, I have some about my mother's death. Yeah. I experience it, yeah. Yeah. yeah and, my, I mean, I have my own things, too. But my, when I think about my mom, I get really uncomfortable. Yes. My mom uh, first was diagnosed with cancer when I was 10 and then continue. You know, she's survived, but she continues to have, you know, the cancer metastasize. We just recently had she just had surgery in October. So for over 20 years of my life now, this my mother's health and this looming fear of her not being here anymore um, has been debilitating, uh, the idea of her dying, despite the fact that, you know, it's, and, and I know that something is specific about that, because when I think about my father, I don't have that same anxiety, but my dad did, was, he did have like some health things every, you know, like people do, but nothing like what my mother, what I experienced with my mother and what has plagued the past 20 years of her life. And I think that that's kind of interesting to, because I could think like, oh, everybody must feel that way about their mother or their parents. But when I even compare one parent to another, I, it feels different. But at the same, at the end of the day, it's like the death is kind of the same that they would experience. You know what I mean? But it's, I guess it's like all of the emotions that get embedded into the fear of losing someone, not even just the loss itself. Absolutely. And you've also been living kind of under the threat of her death for quite some time, which would create an arrested state around it. Exactly. For me, it's kind of the opposite. My dad has been, he's had multiple health challenges through my life. 
Um, he had a series of strokes just about seven or eight years ago and always had high blood pressure. And, and I, you know, sometimes I'm like, well, I would almost expect, right, because he's been ill for a long time, gonna have huge feelings about it because I have a hard time imagining a world without my father in it. But my mom has been relatively healthy. And so to think that one day she's going to die of something I don't yet know is like, God, just mm-hmm. really grabs me by the throat. Mm-hmm. It's refreshing to know that even as somebody who works professionally with the dead and the dying and the topic surrounding death, that you too also have your own anxiety around that. Yeah, I think it would be unfair to expect that anybody has none at all. I think most of us have some to some degree. I certainly meet people all the time who are like, I don't fear death at all. And I'm like, fantastic. But for those of us that work in death and dying, it's just most important that we've built a solid personal relationship with it ourselves. Not that we have no fear, Mm -hmm. but just that we're aware of it. We're aware of our discomfort. We're aware of what, what is plaguing us. We're aware of what our judgments are about death and dying to make sure that we're not putting it on our clients. You know, we're not angels doing this. I think as, as many as often as people think that I might be, I'm like, no, 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 no. Just a regular old human that is really <laughs> comfortable in emotional depth. Look at my chart. It'll tell you everything you need to know. <laughs> it's true. Um, <laughs> Cosine. <laughs> really, really comfortable in emotional depth and wants to be of support. You know, that's it. I also have concerns myself and I'm just, I work through them. Like I pay attention to them. I, I lean into them. So how do you, what is the process of working through those? I pay attention to it, like what we just said, um, looking at what about my mother's death makes me uncomfortable and what about my death makes me uncomfortable. What does it tell me about my life? Where does it tell me about the issues that are still remaining? One of my concerns around my dying, I have a couple of them that are pretty present. One of the major ones is that I'm going to die before my work is done, before like my mission is done, which is utterly ridiculous because I understand that when you're done, you're actually complete. Like there's no more work left to do. And I mean, my, my, my mission feels very much to bring people into relationship with their dying. And I hope that when my dying comes, it can serve as a feast for other people to learn from as we were talking about earlier. So I hope that even in my dying, I can continue to affect my mission somehow. Um, Well, that also, that checks out in astrology too, um, because the birth chart lives on, um, even when our mortal bodies are no longer. Uh, The birth chart continues to cycle. And we can especially see this phenomenon happen with celebrities or public figures who, you know, might have like a record release post-mortem, Humously, you know, like the, or they'll be in the news somehow, something will be sort of rediscovered about them. And you'll look at their chart and you'll see that their chart is being activated somehow. This is obviously very easy to see with those individuals because they're sort of in the collective consciousness, but that happens with everybody. Um, the chart no continues to live on. Yeah. No idea. That's so rad. That's mm-hmm. really encouraging, actually. All right, so we just killed one of my concerns about my death. <laughs> Done. <laughs> Done. Handled. See, you did it for me. Uh, there's a number of ways. A death meditation is a great way for people to work with their death anxiety, which is having people walk them directly into the experience of the end of their lives and see what comes up for them. I have a death meditation series that I offer. It's a nine-part series that walks through the nine contemplations of dying that were written by a Buddhist scholar. And... We walk through all of them through each series and then through the eventual decline of the body. And then there's a bunch of journaling prompts and prompts to work through whatever came up. So confronting 
dying itself is a great way to work through death anxiety for those for which the anxiety is not uh, clinical in nature, I should add. Uh, I would say that, you know, dying is such a bizarre thing. Um, <laughs> it's, it's so strange. You know, one of the things that I, I guess my main anxiety when it comes to death, and I have dreams in which I die all the time. I, I feel like there's people get really like weird when I say that they're like, if you die in your dream, you die in real life. But like, I'm living proof that you could die in your dream and still be alive because I'm pretty sure I'm still alive. And I do definitely die in my dreams. And I think it's like the nothingness of death that uh, is in my dreams. And then also makes me just feel kind of sad about it where it just goes from like, active, 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 you know, like waking up, doing things, vitality, being alive to then just, and I think that that sort of contrast is the, is the one thing that I get when I think of my own death, at least at this moment in time that I get kind of like, I don't know, that, that like creepy feeling about. Mm -hmm. It sounds to me like you believe that after we die, it's lights out. It feels like that to me. Um, but I also, I feel like I'm that meme where it's like, prove me wrong. Like I, I really, I don't feel like I need to have that philosophy. Um, I, before I was an astrologer, um, well, it's interesting because I've, I believe in ghosts. I believe in spirits. I believe that, uh, people who are no longer in physical form can continue to communicate with us. But when I think about Latin, no longer being conscious, it does look lights out to me. And mm. it's like there's, I guess, I, I, not all of my philosophies and ideas about what happens when we're no longer here align. Um, it's like there are certain things that feel I feel very comforted in and then other things where I'm like, but that doesn't make sense. I can't, I can't make sense of that at all. How lovely. It's so, one of the <laughs> things that I love so much about playing around in the field of death and dying is that none of us really know Right. None of us know. We have a set of beliefs or ideas or whatever else. And it invites such great mystery, but also a place of sometimes duality. Which is perfect for you as a double Gemini. Perfect. I love <laughs> me some duality. Okay. How can we hold opposing truths to be true at the same time in one yes. body? Yeah. And when we're looking at death, that becomes very clear because a lot of people are you know, sometimes when I'm working with somebody and thinking about what they believe, uh, working through some of their spiritual ideas about the end of life, and we're doing their practical planning, we'll be talking about cremation and they'll say, oh, no, 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 I don't want to be cremated because I can't think of myself being burned. And to me, that indicates that they think that the self and the body are one. Because after death, if the self is still with the body, those two are married, which means both are going up in flames. Yeah, I get it. But... Otherwise, they might say that they don't believe that they are the body, but a conversation and planning for it indicates otherwise, right? right. Because it, and that, that's the duality again. Like if the self is not the body and something exists otherwise, then burning the body could be like burning a piece of paper or like burning a cardboard box when you're done with it. Right. Yeah. But it's really fascinating to see where people's beliefs come from and how they are opposing and also how we can hold both of those things to be true without just one of them being true. Definitely. And, you know, in my, in my life, as it's continued to evolve, um, I would say that the, what I struggled with, I don't want to make it a negative, like a state that I am more 
comfortable in, and perhaps you'll relate to this too as a fellow Pisces moon, is being disassociative. Like, I, it's very easy. For, I remember being a little kid and looking in the mirror and being like, you're, on, you're in a weird one this time. Like, this is a weird meat suit. You know, like, I, rem, I have, it's very easy for me to sort of separate myself from my physical form. I do it all the time, every day. What has been harder for me was, is integrating the two. That has been the the more recent work that I've been doing is trying to find more of a harmony and more of a fusion between what my what I believe me to be and how me is animated by how I can't separate those things to be alive. Um, that me also requires me to be in this form as well. And, you know, I think finding the harmony of those has been is much harder for me to do than for me to be like body okay whatever it's like my spirit that's vivacious but then when it goes when then I sort of loop that around into thinking about death then it's almost like well I was actually better off before (laughs) I was better off with the I was better off with the complete separation of those two but obviously I'm kidding but I'm not kidding because it's complicated shit (laughs) it's really complicated it's so weird. It's so rad. I often also, you know, I think of my, I'm just floating out here, but I also have two feet. I'm in this body. The two feet are planted on the ground. I'm human as hell, right? And when I can ground myself in my senses, which is something I often try to do to bring myself back into it, um, it reminds me that this human experience is really finite and also a weird ride in and of itself. Like, I can see things and smell things and feel energy and feel my hand floating above my arm when I'm touching, I'm not touching it, but just floating above it. Like I can, I can be in this body and engage with the planet around it. That is so cool. And that trips me out all the time because I don't often think of myself as the body, but every once in a while I'll see a really pretty piece of jewelry and I'm like, wow, (laughs) how awesome. Or that really great experience where you look directly in the eye of somebody you barely know and you feel that hint of recognition. And it's like we're using the body to recognize the thing that lives behind it or beneath it or something else. Right. Yeah. It's rad. So um, what do you think? Do you have any of your own philosophies of what happens to us after death? I have many of them. I have a lot of ideas and concerns. Oh, I'd love to know all of them. So tell, me, tell me everything. <laughs> well, this is my current working theory. This is my current working theory, okay? And I don't know, obviously. I just sit around death and dying a lot. But nobody who's been all the way there has ever been back to tell any of us, so we don't know. One thing I love is that it's just a place of possibility. That, at the moment that I'm dying, I start to feel, Pisces Moon talking again, I feel all the feelings I've ever felt, all the intense ones, the pleasurable ones, the painful ones. I feel everything just washing over me. And when I simply can't take it anymore is a moment of my death. I can't take it anymore because it's like so overwhelming, not because it's so bad. But as I'm just like totally overcome with all the emotion, my physical body explodes into a bunch of really brightly colored glitter, really bright all into the sky as far as I can see and just as that's happening and they start to settle down they settle down into some glitter wave that the me as I know me not the body anymore because it's exploded into glitter is riding this glitter wave they all the pieces eventually settle and as they settle the me as I know me also settles into the wave and then I become the glitter ocean and then we carry on wow wouldn't that be lovely yes and how did you how did that come to be 
just in my wildest dreams about what I would... <laughs> just in my dreams. <laughs> yeah, what I'd love to happen when I die. You know, so, so often people are like, I don't know what happens. What do you think happens? I'm like, I don't know either. But what would you like to have happen? Since we don't know, it's a space of pure potential. It could be oh, anything. Oh, I love that. That's so cool because that's manifesting. That's the same work that we do in, you know, in astrology, astrology adjacent spaces of like, you know, um, law of attraction and creating the life that you want to live. It's the same. Holy fuck. I think I just had a breakthrough. I mean, ultimately, it's the same thing, right? It's, it's the same way that you can create your life. You could create your death. We have no idea what it holds. We don't know what the next moment holds. We, all we know is, well, we don't even know this because somebody challenged me on that once. But that at some point we come into this human form, we think, unless this is all just a weird projection of consciousness somehow. We come into I'll the human it. form, <laughs> possible. And then at, something happens to the body at some point. And then how I understood myself does not exist anymore and something else happens. That's it. We don't know anything else. We could make it whatever we want it to be. Mm-hmm. And when I think about death and dying and people come to me with anxieties about what happens after they die, I can understand that because we don't know and it could be very, very scary. But since we don't know, we could also fill in the blanks with things that make us joyful, like glitter. Yeah, for sure. That makes sense. I'm sure you've seen people die now in your work. Yeah. What is that experience like? It's the most profound, but also the most simple. Again, that duality all at once. Mm. Because life literally hangs on a breath. One minute it's there, the next it's not. And it's a marked difference. You can tell that something huge has occurred, but it happened in the absence of something. It's also incredibly still. Like there's a stillness that descends on everything. And I don't know if it's just because of the sanctity and the reverence that I bring to the end of life, or if it's because it's something, some other phenomenon that's occurring, but everything gets very dense. Kind of like how when you walk outside, when it's, uh, there's already a bunch of snow on the ground, but it's still snowing. You know that like dense quiet? Yes. Yes. Yeah. It's like that, just still, super, mm-hmm. super still. And is, have you found, um, like, do you find that a lot of the work that you do is, well, I guess I, I feel like I know the answer to this, but. How does it differ from the families to the, the dying itself? Um, or is it the same sort of rhetoric that you use with both the person who's passing and then the people who are surrounding that person who's passing? It depends on the person's level of comfort with what it is that's happening. You know, a lot of my work is about meeting people where they are. So I often don't even talk about my beliefs or my ideas about what might happen after we die because it's about them. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so at the time, if I'm working with somebody who's dying and they want to go there and they want to play around with what might happen afterward or what the last moments will be like or if there'll be pain, I'll sit and have those discussions with them. But family members often want to shy away from that conversation. And so we won't go there. Is that Mm -hmm. what you're asking me? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Kind of an open-ended, just curious question. Not even just – I just think that the work that you do is so fascinating and so deeply important. We're also – at the time of this recording, uh, it's there's a pandemic, <laughs> and something I found really interesting about this moment um, a few weeks ago, I was doing some research on the 1918 epidemic, and 
it turns out I did not even fucking know about it. Like, right? I knew that there was a flu in 1918, maybe, but I definitely did not know the scale of the sick and the dying. I did not know that some of my favorite artists who I wrote essays about in college died from it, which is crazy to me because, you know, I, I that means that in their biographies, it's not listed because I was reading, would we have been reading their biographies. Um, so it's like there is just this absence of information. Even the Wikipedia page looks like a fucking, you know, sixth grader wrote it. It's so, it's not like the type of Wikipedia that you would expect with graphs and like sub pages. It's like just kind of like what you see is what you get. It's a few different paragraphs. That's it. I found some resource that basically said that the reason that there is no, there's very limited information is because people couldn't even deal with it at the time. They didn't want to make art about it. They didn't want to talk about it. It was not being properly uh, tracked. You know, like there wasn't, that people were trying just not to acknowledge it. Similarly, I realized to what it very much is what's happening now is that all of the numbers that we're seeing are distorted because you know, and obviously this, like, moron fucking president doesn't want to have, you know, he, he's trying to create some sort of a, an illusion with how much it's spreading because he doesn't want to make it him, it look, make him look bad. Uh, so the whole thing is warped, obviously. But the concept of death and illness and dying are things that people have to confront now um, in a way that maybe they have not had to before. And have you seen that... Have you seen an impact of that in your work? Absolutely. I feel like death anxiety is at a high. And there's so many elements of what we're experiencing through this that sometimes look like the end of life experience anyway. So that's just like for those of us that are in this in this pandemic together and all the dealing with uncertainty and navigating the unknown and being unsure of what tomorrow is going to look like and um, the stripping down that occurs or that's occurring for sure. Like I normally wear a full acrylic set on my fingernails and I, my hands haven't looked like this since 1997. Like I have no nail polish <laughs> on. I'm barely wearing any rings. My eyebrows are growing in. Um, my, my time is super intentional and focused. I'm only making time for the things that really matter. I don't have energy for much else. Dying people do the same thing. Wow, Everything that's gets- so interesting. Yes everything starts to get stripped down. You get down to the values and the essentials, and that's about it. Um, As things are starting to shift again, it looks like, into because now things are loosening up a bit, um, a a little bit more of that similar, like, discomfort and uncertainty about the ending. And, you know, this whole thing hasn't been all that fantastic. It's been kind of challenging at times, this whole period of self-isolation. And as we're opening into something new, it's like, well, what's that going to look like and how are people going to behave? And I'm having a little bit of anxiety about that. Whereas what we're currently in isn't so great. I don't want this to go on for forever, but I don't know what's happening there. And I have a little bit of anxiety about it. Sound kind of familiar? Yeah. Kind of like people who are living that are like, life has been pretty good. It's also sometimes kind of shitty. And when they are living in bodies that are painful, it's like, all right, I don't want to keep doing this, but what's going on over there? I'm not so sure. But somehow we're in between. We're in a, like a liminal space right now. Yeah. We're in a very much liminal. Yeah. I, I, it's so interesting to bring up the fact that we're all sort of like, we all have to kind of let our bodies just go right now. Um, and there's obviously so much anxiety surrounding that process too. 
not only from just the, you know, on, a, on an aesthetic, like this is how I keep myself up kind of way, but I think that there is this, you know, it, it is sort of bringing us to the essentials of who we are and making us confront things like, you know, nobody's out here getting Botox right now. So everybody has to also look in the mirror and be like, I am aging, but I'm not really doing anything. You know, like I feel that I feel like in these past couple of months, it's like I know that I'm getting older because I know that time is moving and I know that I'm more stressed out than I was a few months ago. So I know I feel it in my body and I see it, but I don't have as much to show for it as I usually do, where it's like I'm wheeling and dealing and I'm <laughs> like living my life and I'm having experiences like I'm literally stagnant, but yet. I'm getting closer to death every day. That's so fascinating. One of the things that keeps coming up around this pandemic is there was for a while, there was like a meme going on. Like if you don't leave self-isolation with like a new skill or some new habits or whatever. I saw that You shit. lack discipline. The oh, fucking my- King Lear shit. Furious. I was furious when I saw it. Furious. Not only are some of us just doing our best to keep our heads above water and to stay alive, drink enough water, like just handle our basic needs. But then there's people that are actually suffering, people that are grieving, people, like there's so many different layers of the experience right now. And this hyper-focus on productivity to me is a, is a, is a mass death anxiety. Absolutely. Because it's like produce, 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 leave something, do something that make my life have some meaning. Whereas the only meaning that it really needs is that you were born and one day you'll die. Like being like you've made it. You've done a fantastic job just getting here. We don't also have to create these massive monuments and write the great novel. Like we can just be human for a while and then die. And that has meaning in and of itself. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I think that there's this interesting balance of like, you know, like is just living a life, living a life of mediocrity and is there value in living and, and is mediocrity horrible? You know, I I don't know. I don't have the answer to that. But it's, you know, I think that living a good life, living a fulfilled life is certainly challenging yourself and feeling like you are, you know, you're in line with what you desire and what you want and what you're aspiring to do. But that doesn't mean that every single day of your life you need to be churning something out that is incredible. And it's with you know having access to an audience so to speak right now on Instagram, Facebook, whatever, it's easy to sort of forget the fact that like you know a life is the culmination of all of your successes and all of your failures and all of your experiences. It's not just like what did you do on M- motivation Monday? Like no, you don't need to do anything on motivation Monday. You could just literally sleep and eat and like shit because what that's your Monday. It's what your Monday is going to look like this Monday. And this moment in time, I think, is really asking us to just be sort of still and be human and not have to qualify everything. And it's interesting to see how that pushes up so directly against the I, the the programming that we have all sort of dialed into ourselves of constantly doing as a way of not facing our mortality. Yeah, it pushes us up directly against it. Yeah. Another part, this is what I, a place where I think we're kind of going earlier, but another thing that's happening with this pandemic is this constant, we hear about deaths all the time. 
I mean, we hear about them regularly, but lately we're getting death tolls. Like this many people died today. This many people died today. This many people have died overall. It's in our faces like it wasn't before. Even though on the news, which I don't watch the news, but when people do, they're hearing about deaths that are occurring. But now it's like this sensationalized almost, like numbers dead. Of course, we're thinking about our dying. We're doing a bunch of things to avoid a bunch of people dying, right? Like we're not leaving our houses just to make sure that the medical systems are not overwhelmed so that more people don't die. Like, or our existence is based on people not dying now. Totally, Which is totally. Yeah, like death death is in our faces. Death anxiety is on people's minds. I'm getting a lot of requests for end of life um, planning and doing, filling out comprehensive end of life plans. And a lot of people are signing up for my death doula training program. People are interested in learning how to support other people through dying because all of a sudden I think we're seeing like, yo, this is a real thing that happens and it happens without rhyme or reason. And we are all actually very, very vulnerable. Yes, that makes a lot of sense. I, I, it's so interesting that, yes, the entire purpose of us being here is, you know, and doing and taking the precautions that we're doing is to keep other people alive right now. And I think that, um, you know, something that I have been really struck by and very disturbed by is the amount of sort of like, uh, I don't know, individualism that is coming from this too that we're seeing. I'm heartbroken by how many people in the spiritual community um, are suddenly emerging as like anti-vaccination, not wear a mask, do whatever you want, like Bill Gates, Jeffrey Epstein killed himself. Like, I get it. Like, there's a lot of things that we don't understand. There's a lot of question marks. But at the end of the day, like, don't try to solve them at the expense of other people's lives. You know, that's where it draws the line for me. Um, We're like, sure, I'm an edge walker myself. You know, like I like to fuck around with weird shit. I like to question things. We should question things. We should question everything, but not question compassion, not question, you know, our reverence for other people's lives and other people's health. Um, And to me, sort of that is also such a reflection of fear of, of mortality, but it's like at the, it's, it's, it has the potential to hurt other people, which is just like, I feel like that's like a big, hard, no, <laughs> don't do yeah. not do that. Um, yeah. but that, it, it's like, I see that sort of spiraling, like, did you know that 5g did this and Jeffrey Epstein and Bill Gates and blah, blah, blah. And it's like, I get you're scared of dying. Like <laughs> I and am the chips, too. The yes. chips and the vaccines, the chips. Yeah. Yeah. And I, it's. I I feel like if we could just sort of reduce it to be like like you're afraid of dying, you're afraid of your loved ones dying, and I hear you and I see you, like it that is like the, the best way forward <laughs> to dealing with it because the other stuff is not just creates more noise and more like negative energy in the world, but it also like can hurt people. Absolutely. I wholeheartedly agree. One other thing that has been interesting in all of this has been the racial disparities in the death and the amount of attention or lack of attention that they're getting. And what sometimes the conspiracy theories feel like a fear of the things that have been done to black bodies for forever being done. And I struggle with that because it's like, well, 
for so long, this is what's been happening with black bodies. It's happening still. Yet now we have a situation where freedoms are being taken away and you feel like you're not at liberty to do everything that you've wanted to do and that somebody might force you to do something to your body that you're not okay with. But that's a reality that's existed in the black community for centuries. And so um, a lot of it feels like it comes from a place of privilege sometimes. Like, oh, you're not even aware that what you're so terrified of are some of the things that they've been doing to me. Right. And it uh, it also appears to me that there's no uh, breakthrough that's happening from that. Yeah. It's not there's not like that aha moment of like, holy shit, I guess this is what the experience to not be in this privileged body. Uh, you know, this is this is a counter experience to what I'm used to. And this is what it would look like if I actually had to be more aware of what it means to go for a run. Right. Um, but there's not that connection that's happening. So right. it's like, yeah, it, it is really, it's, it's pretty maddening um, to see even something that could be a learning experience and an experience of, of sort of deepening empathy and deepening understanding become something that is even more, that creates even more walls and even more uh, us versus them and that stratifies life. Mm -hmm. When truly, you know, I, I think that, you know, at the end of the day, just remembering the fact that we're, we're all living, breathing beings who need to support each other, regardless of what we look like and what, you know, where we live is the number one most important thing <laughs> is to yeah. take care of each other and ourselves, you know? Yeah. It's calling forth in all of it for me, just a greater, a call for greater compassion yeah. across the board, because similarly, folks that are... Um, all pandemic-y and deep into the conspiracy theories. I'm like, there's still a, a desire for some knowledge or for some security or for some certainty someplace. And that asks me to have a lot of compassion for that too. Just like, I mean, I question everything also. Question, trust nothing, question everything. Everything is up for grabs. And I wonder if that's in my chart, it probably is. Um, well, that's so, good. That's just good Gemini mutable energy of like, Curious, curious, hold these two curious. things. How could they both exist? Everything can exist. I don't know. I don't know. But what I cannot do is put another down for what they might believe when they're trying to fulfill some need within themselves to feel safe and secure. You know? Yes. Yeah, that's the, that's the challenge I have with it. It's like we're, we, we all get to be far more compassionate for each other. And this us versus them, honestly, that's my biggest worry about this whole thing is this like, you know, they believe this, we believe this. Let's go at each other. Doesn't help. No, I, I think that that's, uh, I mean, I, I think that even on like, we're seeing it on obviously the political stage, like, you know, as much as it's here in New York, like, you know, it's great that Cuomo has done good things a governor is supposed to do when a lot of people are dying. We also could have maybe started a little earlier, could have been more support at the nursing homes and various other facilities, like, you know, him holding a press conference every day is kind of the same as Trump holding a press conference every day. And ultimately, it's not a matter of like how much screen time you have and how much you're arguing with your fellow politicians. It's about creating public policies that keep people safe. Like, I think that we're seeing, you know, when we see Cuomo and Trump, like going back to back in their perfect Gemini Sagittarius way, like it doesn't help us as civilians, as citizens, feel like we can be united. Um, 
there is no, there is, you know, on no level of the macrocosm are we finding union. You know, saying that we're not going to, Trump trying to defund the WHO, blaming China, scapegoating, scapegoating, like constantly blaming and creating a villain. Um, of course, we're going to see that also reflected on the micro within our own communities. And the ramifications of that are horrific. You know, there was in Michigan, I think there was that per that security officer who was killed um, when he told people to wear a mask in the store. Like th these are these this is the type of stuff that happens when we when society becomes so stratified based on fear of death specifically, yeah. you know, yeah. like the stakes being so high, we're going to kill each other like this. Yeah. It's horrific. <laughs> yeah. It's so circular, too. Yes. Because the fear of death is the very thing that's causing us to hate and kill each other. It's absurd. Right. Fear and of death does very funny things in people. I, th I mean, I'm sure that... I think fear of death is also, you know, it's also the most enchanting and beautiful thing. Like, fear of death is why we have such amazing mythology, why we have astrology, why we have so much beautiful, rich folklore and religions and, uh, you know, different spiritual texts all of that is stories of how things became the way they are and how thing what happens when we're no longer here and dreaming and imagining um and there's so much i think like art and creativity that can come from the unknown but then holding two things at the same time all of the the horrible backlash to it as well is is hurting one another while we're here on earth and that's that not, that's not good. <laughs> it's not good. It's not good. It's also really, really fascinating. And I like to play around with the idea sometimes that, you know, of how much of the juicy stuff is uh, written about before we were here and what happens after we die. Whereas what if the real juice is the being here right now? Like what if the real dream is to be in the body and to get to look in the eyes of somebody I love? or to eat an orange and feel the oil and the skin and the rind and the flavors in my mouth. Like, what if that is like the dreamiest part of this experience? Mm -hmm. That yeah. excites me. Yeah. So do you think that um, it does, is being a death doula also sort of like being a life doula? Like, are those two things inextricably linked? Death and life are inextric inextricably, inextricably linked. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's, you know, I've, a lot of people say to me, well, I love life so much. That's why I don't want to die. But to me, you can't love something and not love its whole. And dying is a part of living like death is a part of life. And so that's like, I love, you know, this part of the thing, but I'm just going to cut that part out. I don't love that. That doesn't work that way. You right. love life. You also love death. It's a part of it. Like death makes life what it is. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. This is so, it's really just such a, a lovely and, I don't know, refreshing thing to talk to you. Um, I'm sure that, I'm so glad you do what you do. And I know that there are so many people that you are just, I don't making such an impact on in your work. You're mm -hmm. making an impact on me, and I know you're going to be making an impact on all of our listeners. So, you know, that is just exponential of how much. Uh, value there is to the work that you're doing always, but especially right now in a moment where people are really struggling. And 
we are we have to hold so much space. So thank you for holding all of it. <laughs> doing my best. I'm doing my best. But realistically, so, if I just if it's an invitation for one person to live in relationship to the fact that they die, that's good enough. Yeah. yeah. A quick question before we ask where we can find you is, um, what is a simple, I don't know, philosophy or exercise or technique you could offer um, for listeners who are are trying to become a little bit more comfortable with the concept of death? Hmm. A quick one? Yeah, a quick one. <laughs> yeah. You know, a quick one. <laughs> right, a quick one. Uh, one really simple exercise is to look in the mirror, looking inside your eye and say, I'm going to die. <laughs> I love it. No big deal. Just try it. Try it. Just try and say three times to yourself, really paying attention, really looking at that thing that's looking in the mirror, that's looking back at you. Look hard. I'm going to die and see what comes up. Um, and then go put your feet in some grass outside right afterward and remember that you are still alive and very much in this body. Oh, that's so beautiful. Um, okay, one last thing, actually. Do you believe in ghosts? Yes. Yes! <laughs> I love it. That makes me feel like we, we no longer have to search. <laughs> it's, been, it's been validated. <laughs> oh, I don't know anything. <laughs> Perfect. Me neither. <laughs> oh, thank you so much. So where could we find you? You can find me on Instagram at going underscore with underscore grace. If you don't put the underscores in there, you'll end up with like a yellow lab someplace in um, New Hampshire. And <laughs> on, on the internet at goingwithgrace.com. Thank you so much. Thank you. It was great talking to you. You too. 